0: world of work podcast with james
1: and jane hi everyone this is jane and just before we get into this episode i want to remind you of all the really great stuff on our website at www.worldofwork.io over there you can check out all the online seminars and workshops we do as well as our team development programs you'll also find articles on topics to help you thrive at work so that's www.worldofwork.io now let's get on to the episode Okay, so
0: welcome to today's podcast. We're having a great conversation today. We're going to be speaking about a few things that are fairly close to my heart, that I think are really interesting. We're going to be exploring the concept of creativity and looking a little bit more at what creative roles are and, and what's involved in that creative process. And looking a little bit beyond that, we're going to look at how burnout might occur in those types of roles and then the sort of relationship between creativity and burnout and how we can Explore burnout for ourselves and start to look at, you know, mitigating some of the factors associated with burnout. Um, and we've got a great guest today. We're going to be speaking today to Claire Bridges from Now Go Create. She's the founder of Now Go Create. Uh, Claire, could you say hi to the audience and say a little bit more about yourself and your background?
1: Hi, James and everyone. Yes. Hello. and Thanks very much for having me. So, yeah, my name's Claire um, and I am Chief Spark of Now Go Create. We are a training um, consultancy focusing on creativity and innovation. Um, And I've been in business for about a decade doing that. um, Prior to... um, running my own company. I have been uh, working in the creative industry, so in mainly in PR agencies um, and marketing agencies for around 18 years. And I was in the, um, the management team for a long time. I ran the teams, mainly working in consumer PR. And then I um, turned uh, my hand to uh, becoming a creative director, I was one of the first female creative directors working in a PR agency, and actually one of the first uh, people in that role in, in a PR industry. Um, and then in the past decade have turned my hand to helping others to be more creative.
0: Brilliant. Well, it sounds like um, you're in a great place to speak to us about creativity. So that, that's fantastic. Um, creativity is something that I think is interesting. It's a word that's out there. And obviously, you know, we can think about creation and, and you know, the root in, in to create. But when we think about creativity as a process and almost You know, creativity being a job, being something that we do, being an output. What what does it really mean to you? What What is that process like? What is creativity at its at its core?
1: Well, it's a really interesting question, and I think. Because the, your your podcast is the world of work. I think mm. if we if we bring it into the workplace, when we talk about creativity, it can seem like this big amorphous blob, this thing that's very hard to nail to the wall. And I think if we were talking about, you know, Grayson Perry's work or Banksy or, you know, um, Mozart, we could be here for, you know, literally this could be the podcast that never ends. But I think in terms of business, what we're talking about is applied creativity. And that really means um, more about problem solving, critical thinking and creative thinking. And these are all things that the World Economic Forum has a future of jobs report um, that they update every year. And having bobbed around those three things, having bobbed around within that list of the skills that we need as human beings to tackle business problems, societal problems, global problems, um, they are now the top three skills that the the World Economic Forum says that we need. And I think that's a really important distinction from probably even when I started working in my career of what it takes to be a creative person in inverted commas. I fundamentally believe as somebody who trains people in innovation and creativity, that that you can um, be given frameworks, skills, and you can, be help, you can be helped to develop your creativity. So just like you can anything else, you know, I'm learning the guitar at the moment, I'm probably never going to be Eric Clapton, but I can learn the chords and I can put them together. And I can get better and better at that. And I think it's an important distinction to make that particularly in business is that Everyone is equipped with the um, with the you know the 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 ability to be creative, but throughout life, whether it's childhood or university or even in the workplace, I think we get put into these categories of haves and have-nots. And then, and I've been a have and a have not, depending on the context, in different companies. Um, but I don't think that's very helpful, and it certainly isn't helpful if you're you don't have somebody with a job title creative director or creative in your company, which unless you're working in the advertising industry, you're quite unlikely to do.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. And, and you know, we've we've done some had some conversations with a range of people in academia working in that innovation and creativity space who who very much echo some of that. Toolkit-based approach for for some of this, um, and I think you're you're right that bringing this into the world of work is really uh, helpful framing for us. If I were to ask you, if we think about creativity in the workplace, if we were to think of the output of creativity, what is the output that we're trying to achieve through? that process of creativity or or what are the multiple outputs what, what is the output of creativity
1: yeah again it's a really good question i think so i i tend to think of i do a lot of work in with the creative industries and in particularly the marketing side so i work with a lot of communications agencies a lot of comms teams in in house in brands um, i also work um, with quite a lot of charities and i think that's probably a useful way to think about it in some ways, because the, the, there's a definition of creativity that I like, which you'll see sort of brings this back round, which is from, from Sir Ken Robinson, who sadly is no longer with us, but yeah, you might know yeah. his TED talk yeah, on lovely. creativity in schools. Yeah, it's still one of the most viewed. um And he talks about the fact that creativity needs to be as important as literacy is in schools. And he said that in in his view, creativity is a process of having original ideas that have value and the reason I like that definition is because it's very easy to break down and actually put into quite actionable steps or process so the first part is that it's a process so yeah there are things that we do and that we can do that are repeatable Um, and then um, the idea that it's about original ideas How new is your idea? You know, how novel is it? And then the other part to that is the value. So if you're working with a a brand or an organization, to your point about outputs, then that that's often going to be about a um, the value is going to be a pound or a dollar amount. So am I selling more um, Krispy Kreme donuts? You know, it's Black Friday in a few weeks times. Are we selling more stuff? But when it comes to, say, an organisation, I'm lucky enough to have done some work with um, the UNHCR in this past year, um, and also UNICEF. And so for them, or for other organisations, the output is a behaviour change. And the value is in changing our behaviour, either to you know consume less, arguably, and obviously it's COP whilst we're speaking at the moment, it's COP. So the output, the value there would be about how we change our behaviour to help save the planet. So can we recycle more? Can we consume less? And so on. Um, or the value um, may well be in if you were a political party, the value is in persuading you that you should vote for, for me rather than the other guy or girl. So I think it's just really useful to sort of bring it back down to how new or original are your ideas. And what value are they bringing, and so to me, that would be the the output. but as I say, the value can change and another way to think of it, and I was just talking to a group this morning about this is the idea of impact. What impact will your have will your idea have on the world? you know will it be an idea that is impactful again, in terms of making something more sustainable so you might be working in a not for profit but that's the impact or again this morning we were talking about um we were actually talking about um brands very popular brands of things that are sold in tins and you know the value is therefore then about you know how do we sell more of that so but I think that starts to help I, I, I really like the idea of having a sort of definition that you can then pull into the the execution as well um, and that's as good as any that I've come across yeah
0: that's a, that's a lovely definition and and I guess if we think about those original ideas uh, something that came to my mind while you were speaking there was probably for me a little bit of a broadening to say that there's probably something to do with original ideas in the context that we're operating in. So I think that borrowing of ideas, you know, that that sort of, um, you know, cross-sectionality, uh, intersectionality of ideas can, can be a really powerful thing when it comes yeah, up- to creating ideas.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think context is the really important bit which often gets missed, which is what is original. So we can't all be working on unless we're working, you know, for Tesla or, you know, we're working on something which is new to the world and is literally original in any way that you think about it often that newness or that originality as exactly as you said comes from the context so something that's original in one context may not be original in another it may just I think a good example of that is something like uh, pop-up stores you know pop-up stores like I think the first pop-up store was around 25-30 years ago um, and it was for a for jeans brand and it was you know the idea that you didn't have to have this was even probably pre-e-tail so the reason the the fact that you didn't have to have your own dedicated store but you could Create these kind of pop-ups created a real buzz and and was limited um, limited supply and therefore you know scarcity and all of that stuff if you were working in a in a retailer now and you talked about the idea of a pop-up and you were in a brainstorm everyone would roll their eyes and say oh seriously where's the newness in that but if you talk about a pop-up doing something else um, perhaps you know restaurant pop-ups for example again quite common now but they weren't common before um so i think you know it's again it's, it's about timing and context and the space that it's in and that's yeah. the the idea of um surprise the idea is surprising oh yeah i wasn't expecting that that's often why we'll say something is creative because it surprises us
0: yeah so potentially some of those new links between things um when we've been speaking, you've been speaking a lot about your working experience, which is in that creative space of advertising, marketing, PR, things like that. If we look at this definition of original ideas with value, I guess a question, you know, particularly if we're thinking about what the WEF said about, you know, key skills for the future, I guess a question for me would be, what roles do you think have scope for creativity or, or where should we see creativity? What types of roles that exist in the wider world do you think benefit from having creativity is it just limited to these creative roles or is it broader
1: and no i definitely don't think it is just limited to creative roles in actual fact that's an area that i feel really passionately about in terms of helping people to unleash their own creativity is that I work with a very large range of companies and individuals I say so quite a lot of those outputs for example might be about selling something more but it might be about um, when when we think about creativity and innovation which obviously really closely linked together um, the question that we always ask when we think about the ideas the types of ideas is do I want to do it differently or do I want to do it better? And I think you could ask that question. And then what ideas do we need? And I think if you're um, in any, any area that you're working in, and in actual fact, I think a lot of public sector, not for profit, um, all of those sorts of areas where sometimes um uh, people don't want to take risks they don't want to do things differently they're almost the spaces where we do need to think about doing something not just differently because differently suggests there's nothing wrong with differently but differently suggests taking something and moving it the needle slightly whereas sorry doing it differently means not doing the opposite of that so if I say that again sorry doing it um, better means taking something and then moving the needle slightly and I always think you know it's a very uh, kind of probably old-fashioned reference now but to think of a washing powder box or something that says you know new and improved on it you know everything's new and improved we're not quite sure what that is but it's new and improved whereas actually if you think about washing powder you know what 30 years ago the only way the washing powder was literally powder now it's a dried you know the, to to build on that point about doing things that are good for society the environment as well as for business you know now um, tablets we've gone from kind of liquid tablets haven't we so we've gone to liquid then liquid tablets and now we're moving away from needing water to be transported all over the country and it's kind of gone back to water but in really concentrated tablet form So you could argue all of that is doing it differently. uh, Sorry, is doing it better. But there's also a point at which, you know, where where, is it? Is it an original idea again? Or is it um, something that's breakthrough? So different or or incremental? And I I find that really interesting. It's it's like if you take something like the iPhone as well, you know, people will always say, oh, the iPhone is complete breakthrough invention. And actually, but then you say, well, yeah, the very first iteration of that might have been but actually, since then, we're not we're now on iPhone 12, you know, and actually the iPhone is made up of all sorts of different aspects of something else. We've got email in there from one provider. We've got the phone provided by Sony, you know. So it's actually still that thing that you referenced earlier, which is com- combining things.
0: Yeah. And the iPhone's a great example of that. I think something like, you know, 90 percent of a core patents in the original one were from DARPA right? They're yeah. like military tech yeah. that couldn't be commercialized. Yeah. So yeah. there, that creative spark was for yeah. seeing the links and seeing the opportunity. And that yeah. is an original idea with value in itself. We find yeah. all these other things and bring them together. Yeah. And that's a really creative thing. Um, yeah. My background is I'm, you know, originally by first training, I'm a, a, an accountant. And a lot mm-hmm. of people in, in this sort of accountancy profession feel that it's a non-creative space, right? I mean, you, like some roles end up being slightly labeled in terms of potential in some of them. And I've always found that's a, a little bit of a tragic thing because in reality, there's a huge amount of creativity in in what a lot of professional finance people do, because nearly everything that's involved in that role is solving problems, which I think is probably really closely related to creativity. Coming up with a solution is probably a, a new way to do something, at least within your group, that adds value. Yeah. So, so I think um I think helping people feel that they I guess have the right or have permission to think of themselves as creative is is a helpful thing. I think. Do you find it in your work that people don't feel that they can be creative? Do they feel they like need to be able to paint a picture to be creative or something like that? What's your experience? Yeah,
1: yeah. I think I think it's a really interesting point, and I think it does come from. I think again it comes from this sort of there's a stereotype or a, an idea of what a creative and adverts commerce person is and it does probably come from the arts and the fact that you know you might be a sort of if you're well in these days it would be you know you're a bespectacled sort of bearded person working in Shoreditch and you know you work in an agency and, and all of that's all of that good stuff but just like all other stereotypes there might be a, there might be a kernel of truth in there that's become a very easy and sort of very lazy shorthand but it but yeah but it's it's not it's it's not really like that I think what you're talking about a lot of is I mean I've got quite a young child and I can see as he's going through school you know there's there's no doubt that when you sit with a group of five year olds and you ask them to imagine we did I did I made up a story with my son in bed last night and it was just absolutely hilarious just in the sense that there's no rules there's no constraints you know it doesn't mean that a pig can't be flying into outer space and then be caught by a monkey and brought back down by the dog you know why can that not happen because they don't have the rules they don't have the boxes they don't have the constraints and what happens is we sort of go through um, in in some ways compliance in many ways compliance or learning the rules is the um, opposite of what we need to be creative is to just look at what the rules and constraints are and see whether we can break them and it's interesting you're talking about accountants because you know when I was working in some of the American firms you might be familiar being an ex-accountant with Sarbanes-Oxley you know which is, yeah, yeah. Yeah, which is when people go getting too creative with the rules <laughs> and then it's just like no no we need to rein that back again but um interestingly um there was um, what some of the models of creativity that we now have sort of proved by live MRI scanning and neuroscience and all those developments in the past even 10 years um, there was a very famous mathematician called Poincare and it was actually some of of his original work around creativity um and the creative process that has been proven by neuroscience now and he was talking about it because yeah in maths you are there and and with accountancy like you, know, you were talking about there's still there's many many ways to get to the same answer um and again it's interesting in schools now they're much more interested in the workings out than they are in the answer if anyone's got kids who's listening out there you know you it's not one one plus one equals two it might be how you know I'm terrible at maths, by the way. So, but there's so many different ways to get to that, and they're interested in how the child gets to it rather than the right answer. And I think that's that's quite helpful.
0: Yeah, I don't. I'm not sure. Like now is the time for for this conversation. But I my sense is that there is a relational uh, pattern between sort of societal trends and the ability to be creative and and sort of conformity. You know, when you were speaking about conformity and as children, we learn to fit into that box, that there is that correlation between how much we adhere to the box and, and how rigid the box that we exist within is and our own ability to be creative. And, and so I'll, I'll talk a little bit about this and then move it on. My, mm. my sense is that one of the educational challenges that's being and has been being faced by China over the last 10 or 15 years is that ability to do the creative piece. So there's been a lot of core skill and the replicative work and production and efficiency, but as a result of sort of educational process and system in in China over the last couple of decades, there's been that gap in what has been considered to be that innovative, creative space. And and I I guess that goes back to the question of of the importance of context in, you know, our sort of social and, and working context and creativity. And if we bring that back to organizations, do you, I guess, in your role, see Um, a variety in the, the sort of culture of organizations and how that contributes to the creativity of individuals in there.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's a really interesting point because quite often uh, someone will come to me, they might come to me from, say, the L&D team or the HR team, and someone in the business will have a requirement and will have said to them, look, we need to get better at creativity. It might be, you know, all of this, um, obviously, all that the COVID has presented people with challenges and opportunities in relation to, you know, how we do things differently. Or better but there's you know a change is required but quite often that people will yeah people will come to me and then settle from as I say from those sort of different roles and say right we need more creative we need more creativity we need to update our products or we need to update our services or we actually just need to we need new products and services and we need you to help them you know look look at what they may be and so you can do any amount of training you could do any amount of training in the skills that we talked about earlier which is I can give you a toolkit for problem solving for critical thinking and for helping you to be more creative but one of those aspects of being creative is being able to tolerate ambiguity or to put it in layman's terms you know like not knowing the answer and a lot of organizations are do do not do not want that amongst their they want certainty and with creativity comes uncertainty so there is a there is a kind of basic dilemma in a lot of organizations where they'll say we want to be more creative and we want our workforce to be more creative but what we want oh and then we want it in another nice neat box that says we will be more creative and sort of break glass here and so trying to manage that particularly in a risk averse business is really difficult because what I find will happen is you can only skill people so far and then um, then it becomes about mindset and permission as you said right at the beginning Um, if I go sharing you know tools and, and ways to start if you like all change all all creativity is challenging the status quo in some way whether it's a tiny tiny bit to the left or the right or whether it's completely somewhere else outside of the space that you're working in if the if the leadership of that company if the culture says um it's it's all about business as usual this is how we make our money this is how we've always made our money um then trying to challenge that is difficult and people there's a combination of i think either risk aversion or complacency and you know there's if you look at something like Blockbuster and then you look at Netflix, you know, Netflix apparently tried to buy Blockbuster and they said, no, no, we don't, we don't, we don't need that. Thanks very much. You know, we don't need that way of thinking. Um, Whether it's Nokia, whether it's BlackBerry, you know, these brands, even Kodak, Kodak is a tragic example of a company that was so innovative and first what they did and then kept saying, no, we don't need to, to modernize. So it's that balance in an organization between business as usual, what we do now and what makes our money now. I sometimes call it like jam today and jam tomorrow. You know, you've always got to be looking particularly in this technologically advanced age that we live in 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 what the jam tomorrow is and and you know covid has done that for for my business personally for my business i was a face to face business for eight and a half years and overnight i was not a face-to-face business so i have had to make those changes myself take my own medicine or and, and make change or not survive so you know but that's not I think it's interesting when we're talking about failure and we were talking about when we started talking about this and we're talking about, you know, the idea of how to fail is that sometimes, you know, failure is not fun. It's not fun in any way, shape or form. But sometimes we have to be able to 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 take that. um, Somebody said to me once, um, you know, if you lose or if you have a loss, if you have a failure, don't lose the lesson. And and, you know, I think that's a, a really useful way to to reframe it and and to think about it. But yeah, you have a dichotomy in all organizations unless they have a plan for creativity and innovation that they want more of it and they want their people to do it but you can't have a group of you know if you were a hundred strong let's just say organizational three thousand strong you can't have three thousand mavericks running around trying to challenge the status quo every day because they wouldn't turn up to work on time if they turned up at all they'd be saying no we can't do that we won't do that we're doing it a different way and it would be totally unmanageable so it's having that that's where we go back to process like we talked about earlier it puts things in place that enable that to happen but it's a rub it's always attention it's always attention in a business
0: yeah and that, that whole point about you know the the dilemma that organizations face as innovators is, is really important um and when you were speaking there about not losing the lesson from failure I, I think one of the things that that we've spoken about a few times is turning what we do into experiments and you can mm. have a successful experiment that is a failure right i mean the experiment yeah. is success yeah. the outcome is a failure but that's great yeah um a a great way i think to to think about this and certainty and ambiguity is a topic that i've been exploring with a few people recently and i I think it's fascinating and and i guess a question for you is it possible to be creative if you are 100 percent certain or do you need to have ambiguity to have an element of creativity What, what do you think that relationship is
1: I don't know. It's a really good question. And I, and it's probably a PhD worthy. So I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm it might not, not sure. be for I now. Mean, it might be my topic. It might be my topic. Although I think if I went off and did that, um, I think I, my husband might divorce me um, after having done having done a master's was was hard enough. But I, yeah, it's a really good question. But I think all creative, everything requires even just you know some sense of not knowing i don't know if anything if you can then say you know is anything certain because if you again you know hate to keep talking about covid but things that we thought were certain were suddenly Mm -hmm. not uncertain um and um you know i know a lot's been written about that the book black swan's been written about that hasn't it And, and all of that stuff so but i i think um it's interesting when you get into a you know let's call i I, brainstorms get a really bad rap and i almost hate saying the word brainstorm because some people will just kind of cringe and roll their eyes and go no 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 but i sort of feel like for want of any better word you know when you are trying to change things when you're trying to generate ideas and if you're trying to collaborate with other people then can we just call that a brainstorm and like be happy with the word you know what i mean for now
0: well for today let's totally do that
1: yeah let's just do it just for now um is that so, and that's that challenge where I think where brainstorms go horribly wrong is where people are trying to, they have a challenge. They're thinking about, you know, how might we solve problem X, Y, and Z. Um, and and then we start, our brains start making connections and we start, you know, using the insights and the data and our experience and everything else. We start generating ideas. And that is the sort of discovery phase, the uncertain phase. It's kind of like could do, might do, not sure. But then some people in, uh, in, in, uh, uh, and their, their tolerance for ambiguity is so low that they just want to say, no, 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 we can't do that. We won't do that. We're not doing that. We've done it before. But it's not giving any of those nascent ideas that are just being formed like as little neuron connections in your brain any moment to kind of fire off and make a connection. So, you know, there's, you're allowing that uncertainty just to flourish for a little bit of time before you try and get to certainty. I mean, if you think about um, that, there's a there's a a, when I knew obviously we were talking today, I was thinking about a video that I love, which is worth people looking up if they feel like it, which is called um, how not to land um, an orbital rocket. I don't know if you've seen it, but it's I've from not Tesla. Seen it. It sounds great. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's from SpaceX. It's absolutely brilliant. It's basically 30 ways that they crashed a very, very, very expensive the, yeah. the fails and the fails and the fails and the fails. But what they're saying from that is, we couldn't have even got a rocket into space if we hadn't all have done that stuff before. So I think you know, and clearly in um, um, in in businesses that are that are really forward looking and that are looking for breakthrough changes very very different not just better but different um there is that much more sense of a mindset of we're gonna we know it won't be right first time but we're gonna have to play and we're gonna have to try and that's a very expensive way of doing it by the way
0: yeah but um, look at it now right yeah I mean... exactly
1: exactly so it's it's knowing I think it's understanding that I think sometimes when we talk about process and I was listening to one of your podcasts about lean and agile earlier Mm. today, you know, there are the reason those processes are really helpful is that they start to give you a framework in which to test and prototype and see what works. It's not just let's scattergun everything, let's throw it all out there and see what works. You know, it's actually saying, okay, let's take, like you say, an experimental mindset and try things and then use that, you know, as as the way that we move forward, knowing that it might go wrong. And I think that's quite different. You know, the word failure is almost, you know, definitely needs a kind of it needs a PR campaign in itself, really, or a rethink, I think, often, just for organisations that it's not a failure. If, if something didn't work, um, it was a test. And obviously, yeah. it depends how much time and money and resource you've put into that test. Um and um, there is a useful, um, I wanted to share, there's a useful model. Mm. Um, I don't know if you if you know the 70-20-10 rule that kind of came yeah. from learning. Spaces, I know it from the but, learning Base, yeah.
0: but only in learning, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. So it's used um, in innovation and Coca-Cola used this model. Google used this model, And um, which is that if you, if you had a hundred, let's just say a hundred pound budget, then you'd spend 70% talking about this certainty and uncertainty. You'd spend 70% or 70 pounds of it doing what you know pretty much is going to work. All things considered, you know, COVID's, you know, like planning as much as you can plan, you're going to spend it doing what you know works. Then you're going to spend the next 20% or 20 pounds on um, on something that on 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 ideas that you still you've researched. you think they're going to work? And you've got, but they're a little bit more of a bet because maybe it's a new technology, maybe it's a new target audience, maybe it's a new product or whatever it might be. And then the last 10%, if you like, is like your wild card, but it's your you've got a pretty strong um, idea that you have tested and you're trying to evidence and again if you like it is your experiment of let's see how this works but we know that it is experimental so it's a way of not betting the farm and taking what's been called in innovation terms you know like little bets and I sometimes think it's a it's a really good way of thinking about um just just how you can start to push the boundaries and perhaps be a little bit more uncertain but without saying yeah we're going to bet the farm
0: It gives you that little bit of a safety net, which I think is comfortable, particularly in that world of business and profitability and risk management and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So we've talked about creativity being a bit of a process uh, or or something that can be a process and and have other um, elements of it as well and and how we can bring some of that stuff in. I'd like to move on and and talk a little bit about burnout and and Mm -hmm. how how burnout works in that creative space. And, And I guess... My reflection on certain aspects of creativity from my own perspective, when I try and be creative in whatever format is, is that I kind of need to feed myself with ideas, with differentiation, with a variety of inputs, with diversity and all those things give me sort of a a richness within myself that that makes it easier for me to to generate outward in that creative space. And and Mm. that's a cycle that feels like it's something that works for me at a personal level. I, 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 I really believe in, The importance about intersectionality for, for finding links and things like that, at Mm -hmm. least in that perspective. And I find, for me, I need to go through that process. But but I also find that when I am trying to be creative, with or without a process, that it is to some extent depleting to be thinking in these ways and trying to find these types of things. And I guess if we assume that you know all effort is effortful and, and depleting in some ways, then it then it sort of drains us a little bit. So I'd like to just sort of. Chuck back to you and see if you could build a little bit on that and, and say a little bit about how you see burnout appearing when it comes to creativity. What what are what is the end state of that? What does it look like when one's burnt out from a a creative perspective? What does it feel mm. like and, and what might some of the signs be of mm. of that heading your way?
1: Yeah, so I think um from from your own um um, perspective and what you just talked about, I think if you were being really brutal and trying to distill it down, which I do believe that distillation is a creative superpower if you can tap into it, you know, yeah, yeah. is to kind of really to, to distill something down. We could distill it down into two things that you talked about there. Um, well, there's different ways of looking at, but but what I would call state your personal state to create or not and stimulus. So like external stimulus and internal stimulus. So if we, if we take those two things separately, you know, probably your, your state is, and your, your, how you are feeling um, in any, on any given moment or any day could look, could look like, I sort of break it down almost into emotional state, physical state. Intellectual state. So, you know, on some days I might be kind of mentally firing on all cylinders and feeling quite sparky, but physically, um, maybe I overdid it, you know, in the gym and my whole body hurts. And actually, my dog's not feeling very well. So emotionally and physically, I'm feeling terrible. But intellectually, I'm kind of feeling OK. That's, so I need to think about It's almost like um, I almost think about it in this stage as like a triage of like what's going on for me. And I think it's so complicated. It's such a big old soup when it comes to creativity that there isn't a one size fits all. But you can start to think about what's going on for you. So, you know, we're probably all your your listeners are probably familiar with the concept of flow and, you know, when it's good um we are we we, it, we don't even need to think about it we get embedded in what we're doing we lose track of time and when it's an intrinsic enjoyment in doing it for itself but let's face it often at work I think that sounds like work nirvana but how often are we actually in that really nice state of work maybe we are sometimes it depends you know I think if you're a um maybe if you're in a really hands-on you know quite a, kind of like a quite a craft based creative scenario then maybe that's more often than not but sometimes it does feel forced it feels hard it feels like yeah we've got a problem given to us on you know on any given day maybe it might be a crisis it might be an opportunity it might be something really short term and then suddenly you've got to do that whole like stand-up comedy be creative do it now so I think most of the time um, we are then. That's where skills come in, and where process comes in, because you start to kind of say, okay, I know what I'm doing. I've got a process to go through, and I think what, what we're very bad at in business is the natural creative process. In it includes what we'd call um, incubation, which just is just a fancy word for your brain um will think about things that are important to it when when you're not doing what it is so you know you cannot leave your work at home it's one of the reasons why sometimes we can't switch off if it's important to you your brain will obviously just keep nagging you and nagging you and nagging you and that's why you know, we have our best ideas. Often people will say when I'm swimming, when I'm running, when I'm walking my dog, when I'm just about to fall asleep in the middle of the night, you know, whatever it is. But what we're really bad at in business is allowing each other the time to incubate. We'll say, right, we're going to have, you know, even if you're quite well organized, we're going to have a creative session next Wednesday on, you know, like, how can I be more collaborative or how can I sell more sausages or whatever it is? Um, how can we, you know, do this, this, um, how can we do our invoicing better? How can we get our people to fill out our timesheets, sheets, whatever it is? And then we kind of turn up and expect people just to switch on that state um, and then often without any stimulus as well. so I think um there's there's sort of this trying to determine sort of what burnout looks like it's like is there is it just you're not feeling very creative because you haven't got the you're not mentally in a great state to create and you don't have the right sort of stimulus, whether that's data or being out and about in the world or whatever it is or I think more often when you start to feel burnt out. Um, is and this is certainly true as as we when we were talking earlier I've experienced creative burnout definitely at different stages in my career um, and I think is and, and it is quite akin to it can feel quite akin to starting to feel a bit like depression which I've also suffered from in my life but I think the difference between for me to distinguish it between you know burnout creative burnout if you like and sort of that feeling of, of, of depression is that one with creative burnout if you take action and you um you notice it and you take action it will get better whereas with depression it doesn't sort of you can't necessarily get yourself out of it but for me I think with creative burnout it's where you just feel like you are um you, you just feel kind of quite apathetic and bored with the task that you're working on um maybe that might be because actually you do find it is a dry topic it's difficult I mean in my life I've worked on everything from you know bleach to, to photocopiers so you know I've done my sort of share of stuff that but but I think if if you can you generally gen, generally you can find some motivation whether that's intrinsic or in, extrinsic to do the job but I think if you're sort of feeling permanently overworked you feel like your ideas aren't very good you start doubting your own ideas um you you kind of have feel as if um you're sort of looking after you're kind of looking after other people more than you're looking after yourself I think creatively yeah then that starts to feel like you start judging your own work and saying "Mm, my ideas are just not very good you start you can get very self-critical um and and as I said I think it's just that apathy of oh I just can't look at that again I don't want to look at that again and so I think in that situation where you just feel bored by the task or you feel like you've you've just gone round and round in circles. We talk, don't we, about getting stuck in a rut. Well, getting stuck, we get to we, that is literally a, a a mental rut or a groove that we cannot get out of because we may be, you know, quite often in jobs, I, I think, and in in, in, in in the work that we do you know there's there's a there's a seasonal calendar isn't there you know january is like you know january is new year new you you know like all the clichés but that's what if you're working and trying to get the 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 anyone's attention you're often working to that calendar so you start doing things and you what your brain will do is go to what it knows rather than like a big old rolodex it will go to what it knows and but that doesn't help you to be creative so i think if you're feeling creatively stuck in a rut and, and you feel a bit burnt out I think that's different from sort of the general malaise of like, I can't cope I'm not having much fun here and and um either being with other people or being solitary doesn't solve it basically um I think you'll I'm sure you'll be familiar and your listeners will be familiar with um Susan Kane's book um the power um the, about introverts and extroverts quiet it's called about um you know and and, and I think if you are an introvert then, or you have an internal preference, then um, you know maybe if you're in a noisy office or a noisy space, you just do want to go and have somewhere where you could be quiet. Whereas someone who's extrovert or has an external process just wants to go and chat it through with someone else. So again, that might be about um, you know where you get your best ideas in terms of is it a social process or not a social process?
0: Yeah, and um. She's got a great TED talk as well on that introvert, introvert extrovert um, yeah. piece as well. Um, That's it's all, it's interesting. You know, you were speaking about flow at the beginning mm. of this. And again, this is personal reflection on stuff. When I've done certain types of work that have felt at least to me creative, what I found, and I, I don't know that I've ever been fully burnt out in a creative sense. I, I don't know. I've reached stages that maybe are, maybe not. I, I don't know. But But certainly what has felt to be the case to me is when I've been doing repeated types of uh, sort of on-demand creativity, as you describe, over a longer period of time, I find that it gets harder and harder to get into that state of flow. So when I'm working on something and being productive and creative, I'm in flow, I'm immersed, I'm engaged, I'm positive, stuff is connecting. And the first time I do something, it's easier to get into that state. But by maybe, you know, the 15th time, like I know that state and I know I want to be in that state, but I've got like all this weight that I'm carrying with me that makes it hard for me to move into that state. And and I want to be there. And sometimes I find I can sort of force myself to do that. But it's, it's each time I'm going to that well of reserves I have and drawing more of that reserves and depleting myself to get myself into that state. And and I can do it, but then sometimes I just don't want to go through that effort of dragging myself to where I need to be to work effectively. Is yeah. is, is that like is that how similar to your personal experience of going through things like this?
1: Yeah, I think I think that's really interesting. I think um, I think like you say, it's that you can't you can't um, you can't um you know you can't draw from an empty from an empty cup like to I'm sorry I'm making that a bit clumsy that analogy but but that point is yeah you you need you need to constantly be sort of topping up your reserves and oh yeah that's the point I was I was thinking about when you're talking about it was it's really interesting because actually I think that's about resilience Mm -hmm. um and so you know resilience is what we need obviously when things don't go our way or when things don't, you know, they don't necessarily, it's it's how we, for want of a better phrase, how we bounce back Mm -hmm. from the disappointment or the, you know, not being where we want to be or something being hard. And I think collectively over the past year and a half and, you know, through this whole lockdown period, I think I personally, talking about personal experience, I feel like where I had resilience before, where I might have said, okay, this feels hard, but I'm going to go to, so some some of my go-to kind of refreshers would be, Um, you know, is always getting outside, always walking, um, always, um, or, or, you know, maybe just going off and, you know, do all the cliched stuff, but going to a gallery, filling up my, filling up my reserves, filling up, if you talked about combinational creativity earlier, and Steve Jobs famously said, creativity is just connecting things. And what he meant by that was that he said that creative people in inverted commas, that is anybody who is going to be creative has loads of dots to join so you know like if you go to a manga exhibition or if you go to like a super truck exhibition or you go and do what I did with my kid the other day which is we went to you know like a pumpkin patch you know and we we went and picked our own pumpkins which was all like such a cliche but actually do you know what something like that I just thought I can't help myself but I was like this is genius you know they can't um they, they can't get the staff to pick them so they're making us pick them ourselves you know it's all about the um experience economy still or An immersive experience so we're all coming here we're getting filthy we're paying to get in we're paying twice as much for the pumpkin as we would in uh Sainsbury's we're picking it ourselves you know like I can't help but sort of unpick that but I felt and then there was some amazing kind of like just sort of some really brilliant stuff that had been done around um, the wizard of Oz in the, in the maze maze and all of that. And I, I just kind of get some, I get things to join the dots with on that. But so there's all of those sort of good things, but I think, if you if you have resilience or you find ways of getting resilience by topping up your tank or talking to people or just getting out I think our collective resilience over this sort of nearly two-year period now I think it's been really tested you know there's only so many times like you've got a nice work set up here I'm lucky enough I've got you know a little cabin at the end of my office but there's only so many times I can expect to talking about state and stimulus to to find that in myself so I think it's that kind of sense of trying to then build up. Talking about burnout, if you're just feeling, you, you know, you you. If we, if we were looking at Formula One, I don't know if you've come across Aki Hinster, but the whole no. idea of hinsters is really interesting because, the, and it's a, it's a, a kind of philosophy that. Um, that the formula one drivers so basically you know the optimum they they are looking at the optimum performance of every single thing that they do whereas obviously a nanosecond can mean the difference between them winning the, the championship or not and it's all about the whole person so it is about their nutrition it is about their fitness it is about their mental fitness it's about their sleep it's about all of those things. And I think, you know, somewhere along the line, looking after all of those different aspects has kind of got bucketed into this sort of self-care thing, which feels a bit trite sometimes and feels a bit sort of cod psychology. But actually, if you're doing it properly, the way to um, to kind of to, to, to build up our resilience again is sometimes actually to, to retreat. You know, there's a phrase that I love, which is... Um, um and I can't remember who said it I can I can find out for you but there's a phrase that I love which is like everything will work better if you unplug it for a, for a minute and that includes you <laughs> you know so I think I think there's just that sense of we have to you know we're not we don't just bring one bit of ourselves to work we bring all of ourselves to work and if you don't you know if you've got small kids and you're not sleeping well or if you're you know you know you just got insomnia or you're anxious or whatever it might be all of these things come together but when they all come together like they sort of unfortunately have over the past year. And, and as I say, I really find this personally. Some of the things on some days that just shouldn't bother me or say shouldn't, that's the wrong phrase to yeah, say, but yeah. would not normally bother me, just floor me. And and then, yeah, I, like you, have then got to go through, I, I have got a ritual, but, you know, it's, it's you know, when you're facilitating um, or doing stuff like we're doing today, you know, you can't, you can't do that half-heartedly. Yeah. So, but it costs you, it costs you. And I think, you know, that's the, um, I, I just came back from a retreat actually five weeks ago. I went on a retreat to kind of, you know, refill my cup if you like, and just yeah. to literally retreat in order to move forward because I just felt I needed some of that, um, And it wasn't actually so much stillness, you know, it was it was actually um, it was it was quite a physical. I went off and did quite a lot of physical things, but I had a lot of but I also took a lot of rest. And I think I did definitely come back just feeling a little bit more equipped to deal with the day to day and then to switch it on when you do have to switch it on.
0: Yeah. You know, you're speaking about facilitation there and you spoke about sort of introversion, extroversion and stuff earlier. I'm as I get older, increasingly introverted. I think there's that trend as people get older. And, you know, when I was young, I was, uh, you know, probably margin extroverted. As I get older, I'm more introverted. But being an introvert who's done a lot of facilitation, that, that like, I, I love it. And it's that sort of performative piece. It's enriching. I'm in flow. I'm in the moment. I'm present. I've got all the intellectual stimulation I want. It's real. It matters. All that stuff. But, boy, it's it's tiring. And yeah. you you're talk about this year and that residual occupation of our brains and our emotions that's been going on for the last 18 years it just i guess lowers our capacity to recharge for me it lowers um some of those do you find you know you you spoke about rituals i I can't remember your exact words um Mm. sort of rituals habits remedies things that you do to keep yourself well um do you think if you get to the stage where you're moving towards real burnout or moving towards maybe even Greater degradation in, in aspects of your mental health. Do you, do you think mm-hmm. you, you tend to jettison those or do you think it, they, they carry on? What's your oh, experience?
1: Yeah, no, no, I think it's like anything. Um, I, I definitely think that it's, it's, it becomes a batten down the hatches, doesn't it? It becomes a literally just like you do the bare minimum to get through as opposed to having, definitely having enjoyment in your job or in your role or, or in anything else. Um, And again, I do think that they, they are warning signs when you just feel like, I, I definitely felt when between my, in my transition between, being um, in the management team in in one of the agencies I was in and then going off to become creative director. I had a three-month sabbatical. Because again, that was actually much more about what was going on in my personal life than it was sort of situational, um, and I ended up getting divorced actually. But I, um, I was functioning. Um, you know, I was managing director of a team of thirty people, um, and on the outside, I would have looked like I was, you know, I had it quite sorted. But I literally would do what was in front of me on a daily basis, and and it would cost me to be giving that energy like you were saying out to somebody else and actually again that's where I did I was lucky my employer was you know they they were sympathetic and they and I say I had three months off and again I went off and just did various other things and I ended up getting divorced because you know that was what was kind of causing a lot of the issues but it definitely I think that's why and again sort of using that formula one analogy or just all sports people I think it's um um, Mo Farah says that when he wins races, he's excited, but in his head, he's won that race 30 times already because he's visualized and he's worked on the end game, the end game. So that, and the things he needs to do, you know, if his left leg or toe starts hurting, he does a certain thing, Uh, you know, he starts and and the formula one drivers, they are, so, so they practice in the good time so that when it really matters, they can bring it on. And I, and I definitely think, yeah, there's that sort of aspect of you trying to have some things that are your that are your go-tos that it's, it is hard when you feel terrible and we all have duvet days and we all have days where we just think, I just want to watch Netflix, you know, from the minute I get up to the minute I go to bed. But, um, but yeah, I think having those things, I have um an app and um, there's loads of them out there, but I have the calm app on my phone and I find that if I'm, if I have to facilitate, for example, and I'm feeling in a right miserable mood I will go off and just do 15 minutes of, I'll just take my unplug and kind of just listen to something. And to be honest, it doesn't even really matter what that meditation is. It can be the, you know, the daily, they have a daily meditation or they have whatever. It doesn't matter what it is. What it does is it just helps my, um, you know, parasympathetic nervous system get off of the, the wheel and just take it down. And, and I think, you know, I know that I know that I sometimes need to do that. Um, And also, you know, just basic things like not drinking too much coffee and stuff like that. We can get really into, you know, the stuff that helps us, but then it doesn't, you know, because it starts to feel like it's it's a, a bad habit. So it's just trying to get into good habits. And that's a whole nother podcast, I reckon. you know,
0: we've got on, you know, habits yeah, and routines.
1: Exactly, exactly. On how you, yeah, exactly. On how you make good habits. So there was something that I found really interesting, actually, just on that point, which people might find useful, which is not, it's not rocket science at all, but I found really helpful was that um, I'm sure your listeners will be familiar with Dan Pink and lots of his work. And he's done loads of work around your chronotype, I think he calls it or Mm -hmm. chronotype, which is basically, you know, when are you when are you on an average day, you know, are you um, a night owl? Are you an early bird? When are you good? When do you slump? Um, And it is different for, for all of us. And so just to think about if you can group your tasks into, you know, Gen- generating ideas might be one of them um doing your admin doing your writing proposals you know having meetings can you group write down what it is is you're, you know a lot of the things that you are repeatedly doing over a day a week a month and then figure out you know is there a time of day when actually it is you know you're better off doing some of those things so for example normally we're on a friday afternoon here normally on a friday afternoon i might be doing some admin or some invoicing because frankly i'm fried you know so i hope i'm making some sense but you know but actually you know what i've realized is that there's only about half an hour a day when i think i'm truly effective but you know that, that's a whole other thing but you know but you know i'm right i'm on fire during that half an hour between about 11 and 11:45. 11. literally no one can stop me um But, you know, I think that's quite helpful and it definitely just made me think about being a bit more ruthless about my own diary and just, again, carving out that space. And I do think this sort of Zoom, you know, everyone being on meetings endlessly, I also deliberately add 15 minutes onto every meeting that I book because and then I end the meeting early because I want people to be able to just take a second to reflect on what it is we've just been talking about before they go to the next thing and I do think that's a problem with this you know with the hybrid and, and sort of distributed workforce it's like when the heck are you going to have any time to do what you're supposed to be doing or time to think really
0: yeah it's incessant isn't it yeah. um, you, you were speaking about you know your night owls and your larks and all that stuff yeah. and there was an article that came out this week I think it was about like optimal bed times and all that stuff. I don't yeah. know if you saw it on a BBC. It's no, like yeah, no. there's one that came out. Anyway, it said, uh, you should go to bed between ten and eleven because otherwise there's an increased risk of heart failure, blah, blah, yeah. Blah, blah, Yeah. And I'm one of those people who read it and I was like, Gosh, I need to start staying up later.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Do you know what I mean? Oh yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> ten o'clock.
0: Like what's yeah. that?
1: Yeah, exactly. What's um, that all about? Yeah, yeah, no, I know, yeah, yeah, I know. It is funny. But Yeah.
0: But often I'm a, an early, early morning type of Type of person, um, yeah. and I, I know that, like I, I'm kind of compulsive, and some of my sort of proneness to anxiety means that I don't relax until I've done what I think is what I need to do that day. So I, yeah. I, I have this sort of desire to earn my rest at the end of the day. Yeah. I'm not I'm not a an avoider or a procrastinator, but I need to have done X amount before I can stop. And and that can be really productive, and it can be yeah unhealthy for for other reasons as well. Um, yeah. I guess we're sort of getting to the end. I've got one one question. For you, um, but I'd like to just sort of wrap up with. There was a, a lovely piece I, in uh, in one of the newspapers I, I subscribed to, where they had a video, and the video was all about quitting, and it mm-hmm. said things like, "Our society, for a long time, has had messages about not quitting. Quitters never win. Winners never quit. Blah 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 blah. We can't, you know, never give up. All that kind of stuff. But but it said as an observation." that more people are doing that. So, mm. you know, you some of the tennis players have stepped away, some of the gymnasts, but it, it feels like people are finding it or some people are finding it more acceptable to say, no, I don't want to do this anymore.
1: Mm.
0: And I think that goes so against a lot of a narrative that's played out for us in a lot of the world that you've worked in, in advertising yeah. and media. Yeah. You know, success is, uh, I think we've said before, getting up early, having a power breakfast, smashing it out in the gym, having 16 mm. meetings, picking your kids up, going to the theater, going for a nightcap, going home for three hours sleep and doing that again. And that's mm. what what real successful people do. Mm. So I guess my sort of question is, how do we as individuals balance that sort of pressure of what success is for a lot of people versus the reality of the fragility of us? How do we find acceptance that it's okay to switch off? How do we, how do we really believe that it's fine to be fragile beings who... Need to have a rest, or or need to mm. turn mm. off at the plug. Mm. Like, mm. How, how do we quiet those voices of
1: pressure? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's it's such a big, big question. I think I don't know how old you are, James, and I'm not going to ask. Uh, um, well, I'll, I'll tell I, you, I'm 40. Yeah. I, I hit the big four every <laughs> oh, oh my like, god, you're like, you're you're, yeah. you're 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 a youngling. So I'm nearly 50. Okay, so uh-huh. I'm 49 tomorrow actually. As we oh, speak, happy I'm 49 birthday, tomorrow. Birthday, yeah. Thank you and um i do think that this is something that you know i think maybe like the 20 somethings of the world don't worry about quite so much in my experience you know and i think that's why um i think um there was some work done um, some research that i saw that it, it 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 on average it only takes 18 months for most graduates to feel um disillusioned when they get their first job. You know, they because they kind of go into their job thinking that they can, you know, we, we teach our we teach our our kids and our young people, rightly so, that anything is possible. But then you start to get into a job and you go into that whole conformity thing that we were talking about earlier. And then you suddenly go, oh God, I'm not changing anything in the world. You know, I'm just trying to sell more whatever it is, or I'm, you know, whatever it might be. So I definitely think, and I think there is a definite move towards Um, fight having more balance with people who are who are younger I also think it is uh, you know I hate to to kind of sort of say this but I, I feel like it's it's a very privileged thing to be able to say I don't want to do that because there's sort of you know even if we think about you know, we, you know, basically just the basic needs that we have. We need to earn a living. We need to be able to put a roof over our heads. We need to, you know, look after our kids and, and so on. But beyond that, once you've kind of got beyond that, I think um, a lot of it is is tied into, um, in, into you know, consumerism and, like, wanting more and more and more of everything. And I actually think that, you know, I don't know if, if you saw um, yesterday, um, but... Um, uh, the all, all the stuff around COP, which is obviously uh, timely as we're talking now, but which is we've got we've all actually, if we want things to change, we've all going to have to think a bit more about you know what we what we buy, everything from expecting to have strawberries in December, you know, and what impact that has on the planet, through to you know do we need do we all need to buy you know new clothes every month or every week or whatever it might be so i think there is definitely there's change coming is definitely coming um i think some of us who are you know perhaps you know a bit further on in our careers like like i am and perhaps like you you are is that actually it's only through having the experience of sort of what you don't want that you realize what you do want but i think some of that stuff is going to be um sort of not not forced upon us but if we want things to if we want to, to be in a society in a way that we all that we're proud to be in, and, and that is actually sustainable. Some things will have to change, but I mean, it's such a big question, isn't it? You know, it's 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 such a difficult thing when we're talking about. You know, it's all very well we can talk about um SpaceX and we can talk about Tesla and all of that, but you know, Amazon. um You know, really. Um, do do we need to does amazon even need to do you know what i mean if we amazon could sort of stop existing tomorrow and would it would it would that be a good thing or a bad thing and say until we sort out all of these issues we're just not going to make any money anymore but um it's not likely to happen and i think sorry i'm getting a bit um philosophical because it's it's just it's it's friday afternoon isn't it it's a big question it's It's absolutely yeah 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 but uh, yeah so i don't i don't have a good answer for you but i do think a lot of the younger people that i speak to they they've got a bit more of that they they feel that they feel that pressure that you're talking about. I think slightly less than than perhaps we have done in the past to to the point where we get to that burnout is almost like them going that's not for me that's not the way that I wanna wanna live and I I you know I think that's I can think that can only be a good thing.
0: Yeah, well that's a lovely message for us to wrap up on and and we should be more like the kids and just on that i took my little boy swimming today and he asked me to turn off a heated seat in the car i put it on when i was cold and it was like no you shouldn't do that because we should use less petrol so there we go that's a little example of doing a little bit less in um in a little micro way yeah
1: okay definitely thank you
0: yeah thank you very much um how can people learn more about you and, and the stuff that you do claire
1: so um I wrote a book um which was published a few years ago now after I um I, I'm one of only About 200 people now in the world to have a a master's in creativity, innovation and leadership, which I studied um, in London. And as a result of that and some of the things that I learned and mainly about, you know, trying to sort of demystify creativity and taking it from being something that people have or or don't have. So I wrote a book. It's called In Your Creative Element. Um, So you can um, you can have a look. That's available on Amazon and, you know, all good book book retailer retailers and sellers um and um and then my um company is called now go create so you can find me on um it's nowgocreate.co.uk you can find me there you can find me on linkedin you know in all those other good places where we network these days um and I do quite often put um resources and at the moment I am um, sharing a free, um, 20 minute e-learning, um, program, which, um, is sort of, I was talking earlier about moving my business from being face-to-face to being digital. So people can, um, have a look, have a little try on that. Um, you can find that on my website, um, which is about how to run, um, brainstorms, um, how to run effective, useful brainstorms, um, as I say, for want of a better word. Um, and so, yeah, you can find me there.
0: Brilliant. Okay, well, it's just time to say thank you very much. That was excellent. So thank you very much for your time.
1: Thanks very much for having me.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode. Don't forget, as well as these podcasts, we deliver at least one free online seminar every month that everyone can attend. You can sign up for these and our newsletter, The Wow Mail, on our website, www.worldofwork.io. That's www.worldofwork.io.